Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to the State of the Lakers podcast. Uh, we are going to cover game two of the NBA Finals today, as well as we're going to dive into that weird podcast interview that Dan Lebitard did with uh, the gentleman who wrote that book on the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I'm blanking on his name right now, but I think his, I think his first name is Matt or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, Raj, Raj, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. That was a super fun game, too. I thought it was oh, yeah. kind of predictable as well. But, uh, yeah, it's fun series, and it's cool to kind of dive back dive back into the, the basketball of it. Yeah, you know, I've had a really good read on this series. Um, you know, for the record, we're all – anybody who makes predictions is wrong a lot of the time, and I personally am wrong right. a lot of the time. This, however, so far through two games has been a series that I've really had a good read on between the two teams and just the way the matchups work. Um, I've made a good amount of money on this series so far. I, I bet uh, Phoenix in game one, and then I bet the Bucks first quarter yesterday. Mm-hmm. And then I bet uh, I rolled all of that into the Suns to win the game and uh, and and did well on that. Uh, I just have a good feel for the this Phoenix Suns team, um, obviously just as a Lakers fan, having watched them so closely in that previous series. And I just really believe in their defense, and I really believe in their offensive system and the way that it works. And I, I think they're one of the best jump shooting teams that I've seen uh, in terms of like a high-end elite physical defense that can also shoot the ball. And I, I just am so incredibly impressed by them. Um, I think Milwaukee's going to win game three, but I think that's the only game they're going to win. Uh, uh, just zooming out after two games, has this gone kind of the way you thought it would go? Have, did you expect more from Milwaukee? Where, where are you at kind of macro at this point? Yeah, I 100% thought this is kind of how it would go. I thought Bud would kind of punch second. And I thought, like, I don't know if you would agree, it felt like in that first quarter they were super aggressive. Um, they had, like, a game plan, like, we're going to stay off of Jay Crowder, we're going to stay off Mikael Bridges, and then those dudes hit four threes in, like, the first five minutes, and all that kind of went to hell. They went right back to, like, letting Brooke Lopez switch on a Chris Paul, you know, putting that, like, super deep drop coverage on them. And to me, like, this series still kind of boils down to, like, Drew Holiday and Chris Milton. Drew Holiday especially has to be better, especially as a shot maker. Again, he just could not make a shot last night. I thought it impacted his aggressiveness. And I guess, like, going home should help them, right? But guys like, and I think Bucks fans have talked about it, Middleton's, like, home and road kind of splits are pretty bad for a player of his caliber. Drew Holiday, I guess, should shoot better. But I don't like the shots that I get. Like, I feel like Phoenix's rotations are so good. You talked about their oh, defense. Yeah. Like, Giannis drives they help on that they help on the guy cutting and all of a sudden again I talked about I don't like the green light that Pat Connaughton and Brent Forbes have so like the ball gets swing to them and it's like a contested three and they fling it and that's their offense for a lot of the night so I, I feel like the the Suns are pretty much in control of the series I know most teams like you do your job when you win your first two home games right but uh yeah it just feels like I mean I think the Bucks will win game three as well um but just feel like the Suns know what they're doing they know exactly like how to defend this team and how to get the shots they want, man. Chris Paul and Devin Booker are way too comfortable for me. Chris Paul shot 10 for 20, I think last night. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's too efficient for him. Like he's, he can't be this comfortable in my opinion. And I, they need to switch things up. 
Yeah, I agree. I, you know, it's funny. I had a, uh, I, you know, when you're young and you're watching NBA games or any any sporting event for that matter, you lack perspective and you start to like. I remember when I was a teenager and I would watch one of my favorite teams play and they'd lose. I'd get like almost emotional in a regular season game. I'd be like, I can't believe they lost to the Mavericks on a Tuesday or whatever it is, you know, because you you lack perspective. And then the more basketball you watch over your lifetime, you start to kind of get a feel for the 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 flow of a season in the flow of a playoff series. Well, it, you know, I, I really, I like, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of playoff series in my, in my time watching basketball and in the way it tends to go is, you know, the better team wins game one and then the lesser team comes out guns blazing in game two. And sometimes it's enough for them to steal one. And sometimes it's not. And, you know, I, and it was interesting because, you also get to feel, get the feel for the adjustments, right? Like, you yeah. know, uh, Trey Young completely lights the Bucks on fire in Game One. It was super predictable that Trey Young would have a rough Game Two because the Bucks adjustments would be geared towards slowing down Trey. Well, that's pretty much what happened again last night. They, the Bucks overhelped on Booker and Paul in their isolations and in their pick and rolls and left a bunch of guys open on the backside. I had, I had, a, I had a buddy of mine call me before the game uh, who's not a huge NBA fan, but a lot of Arizonans are getting into the Suns now just because that's yeah. the goal when a, when a team becomes relevant again. And he's like, what's your feel on tonight's game? And I'm like, I think the I think the Bucks are going to throw the kitchen sink at Chris Paul and Devin Booker, and it's going to be about whether or not guys can make shots on the back end. Well, they made eight threes in the first quarter, so like that's exactly yeah. that's exactly what happened. And and you know, in, in over the course of the series, the Bucks will continue to make adjustments. Like they went to Giannis at the five a whole lot in that game, which, as you and I have discussed, is basically the like that's their that's their nuclear option. And yeah. they're all, already in the first half of game two, they had to go to their nuclear option. Uh, you know what I mean? But again, to get back to your original point, like I'm so impressed by the Suns. And they remind me so much of the 2015 Warriors in the sense that they're a team that is almost becoming underrated because of the fact that they're having, you know, uh, such, such good luck along the way that the people are forgetting the fact that they're actually extremely talented up and down the roster. Mikhail Bridges, everyone says Man. like Brandon Ingram looks like Kevin Durant. To me, Mikhail Bridges looks like Kevin Durant in the way <laughs> that he can kind of float into the lane and take his that super high release point. Obviously, he's not Kevin Durant. I'm just saying like some of that facsimile that you see in him. He's he's what their fourth best player and, and he's unbelievably talented. Like the Suns team, it feels like one of those teams that is going to win the title and everyone's going to underrate them because they got lucky and then they're going to continue to just kick everyone's ass next year. That's kind of the way it feels like to me. Yeah, and I, I've been tweeting four years, 100 for Bridges, like uh, every single game because I just feel like that's where he's going to get. You don't get three and D wings like that that can attack closeouts, know how to cut, hits threes. Like he catches on in transition three. He has a weird shot, right? It's kind of like pulls it up from the left side, kind of Lonzo Ball-like, but like he hits him. 40%. He's just a really great player. Watching these two teams, I don't know what you think, Jason, but it feels like one team is like trying to shape shift on the fly. Like the Bucks are like trying to figure out who they are. And while the Suns just know exactly who they are, there's no like I, I know I know um Darius Harch went out and people are saying it was gonna be a bunch of Kaminsky minutes. Um I never thought that was really gonna happen. I think they really went with like Tory Craig at the five. Um they're comfortable playing small against the Bucks because the only really post presence is Brooke Lopez. 
And then you have like Bobby Portis on the bench who also didn't really play that well. Um, but yeah, I feel like the Suns know exactly who they are, man. And you know, those like their actions are run. So Chris like Aiden comes and sets the screen for Chris Paul. Devin Booker does that little back screen Spain action. And, like, that's tough to defend. And then Cam Johnson comes in, knows exactly where his shots come from. He comes in, I think, hits two and three, three, two to three threes. Um, they just know what they're doing. Like, it, it's fun to watch it. It reminds me a little bit of the Lakers last year, like, who got a healthy roster, knew exactly who they were. Um, and it's fun to watch them. Yeah, I like the comp of the Warriors as well. Um, just two high-level shot creators, just too comfortable, in my opinion. They know what they're doing. Devin Booker, like, I remember Mike Breen kept saying, tough shot tough shot i'm like these are shots he's going to this is what he wants like mike green's like he does a little jab stick on brooke lopez fadeaway switch and mike green's like oh that's a tough shot i'm like it, it is technically but that's what he's going to it's fun to watch them um and monty man it, it's so good and i i don't i don't think you could go down 2-0 to this team like i think they're too good they're they're too well coached so i i don't know what do you think the bucks can do kind of in in game three and four where where's your adjustment here i guess other than just drew holiday shoot better um, which is kind of a, a simplification. So for starters, you uh, like you have often, you and I both have often talked about how you can't trick off playoff games. Well, right. the, oppor- the opportunity to steal a game in Phoenix was game one, I thought, just because there is, Same. You, know, you can kind of catch them off guard in that regard. Uh, but here's the problem. So if you're the Bucks, you're like, okay, we lost game one. We're going to go forward in game two. And game one, by the way, they tricked off with their coverages. They let Chris Paul and Devin Booker be way too comfortable throughout the game, which yeah. any average Joe off the street would have said that was a bad idea. But uh, And they made the exact same mistake last series against Atlanta. But the thing that was interesting is like, okay, so you come out in game two. You're the more aggressive team. You're guarding Chris Paul and Devin Booker much better. But you get burned by a really hot shooting night. You know, that that almost happened to the Lakers in, in their Sun series because campaign went absolutely absurd, absurdly hot in game two. When you trick off a game, you open up the door to falling even further behind because of something like an outlier shooting performance, which nearly happened. Now, a couple of things, you know, you and I were on this as well. We talked about how Giannis was going to start having these clear out post ups where mm. they make it so that when he spins back, they can't have help on his backside because there's the entire side of the floor is clear. Well, if there's one silver lining, it's they figured out how to get Giannis going. You know, it kind of reminded it reminded me of that Anthony Davis game against the Suns in the regular season. You know, Giannis, oh, yeah. Giannis is a matchup that the Suns just can't mess with. Like they, you know, I throughout that game, I kept I was watching the game with my father in law, and I kept looking over at him. I'm like, they cannot touch this guy. They literally yeah. can't touch this guy. Like they can't keep him off the glass. They can't keep him keep him from getting to any spot. He was making his mid range jump shot consistently. It was just an all time physical dominant uh, performance. So if you can get anything at home out of Middleton and Holiday, and Giannis continues to have the matchup advantages he's having you're probably going to be in a position where you can win. I thought they defended actually pretty well overall. The tricky thing for them was when they went to Giannis at the five, they tried to get Giannis involved in screening actions away from the basket so that he gets switched onto a wing or a guard, and then DeAndre Ayton killed them on the offensive glass. And so that's going to be something they'll have to counter adjust. And you can do stuff like, you know, uh, switching before the screen comes. You know, it's it's like a preventative switch to try to make sure that Giannis stays underneath the basket. There are a lot of things that they can do to try to keep that from happening. But at the end of the day, Giannis at the five was their best lineup. They were positive with Giannis on the floor yesterday. 
it, there, there's some stuff to cling to there. Ride the home court energy. You'll have the the you'll have the motivational advantage. I think game three is a great opportunity for Milwaukee to kind of get on the board. Yeah, and I, I think Giannis was amazing last night. Like he was really great. Got to the rim. Um, really scored. Was aggressive. Um, I think he hit. I'm not sure how many of his free throws he hit. Um, he was 11 for 18 at the line, 60. percent I mean, I think they'll take that. But those one-legged kind of fadeaway jumpers, like I think the Suns win in that, like just in that scenario. Like if Giannis goes to that, I thought he took like some pull-up threes in transition. Um, it, it just feel like everything is like, I don't know. It looks like that's tiring for him to just continue to attack Aiton's chest every time. Like that must wear on him. What do you think that wears on him? Kind of, or is like, is that fine for him to, to for his offense to be that pretty much? Because I feel like they're gonna live with those one-leg fadeaways. Um, they're going to help a lot more off of P.J. Tucker, I think, as we go even more into the series, um, try to bring Jay Crowder down to trap. Even earlier, I saw, like, Aiden kind of talking about that um, while they were while they were playing. But I, I don't know. I just feel like that's a tough thing to just your offense be honest, kind of try to run through Aiden because I feel like they're living with that. Um, Aiden is fine just standing there being vertical, waiting for him at the rim. They're going under all these screens. They're going to live with any jump shot he takes um, and kind of live with his numbers at the line as well. So I'm just wondering, do you think that – that's something that wears on him, like him like trying to just go through Aiden's chest uh, every time to try to score. Because that feels like what their offense is. They're, it's an ISO for Giannis on the left block and daring them to help um, and, and just having him try to go through Aiden instead of around him as, as he can most players. Yeah, I mean, it's so easy for guys like us on the couch to be like, oh, go to the basket, go to the basket, go to the basket, get better <laughs> right. shots, get better shots. It, it's something that has always driven me nuts watching Le- LeBron and his career. It's just people saying like, well, why doesn't he go to the basket every time? It's a fatigue yeah. thing. And, and Giannis has a lot on his plate. Like Giannis was unfreaking believable defensively last night. Incredible. Like just just one of the honest, – honestly one of the better finals performances I've ever seen uh, from a wing like that. And, you know, at the end of the day, when he takes those little fadeaways and one-leg fadeaways and stuff, I don't like the mm-hmm. one-legged ones as much as his, like, more traditional turnarounds. His more traditional turnarounds he, he seems to make at a higher clip. Uh, but at the end of the day, those are fatigue shots. That's that's textbook, like, I, if I get to this shot, it's going to save my legs type of deal. Um, yeah. I, I'm with you that, like, when he physically dominates Aiton – it's more of a, of a fatiguing play that he can't go to as often over the course of the game. But you know what's funny is he's got, you know, he's got actually pretty good at those, that specific little turnaround from 10 feet. And then he had a, yeah. quite a few, he had a, quite a few of these like kind of big sweeping hooks through the lane. Uh, he had a few of them in the second half where like he kind of gets the defender on his left shoulder and just takes a power dribble into the semicircle and then just kind of elevates over the top with like a one-handed hook. It's kind of a shot that Anthony yeah. Davis, it's an Anthony Davis type of shot that he uses all the time. But that's one of those ones too that kind of saves your legs but is less intense on the uh, uh, it's less intense on the uh, on the fatigue side of things and and you know, and it's easier for him to knock down. It's not a shot that's gonna uh, gonna be overly difficult for him. But at the end of the day, like, you know, how are you gonna continue to run it through Drew Holiday and continue to run it through Chris Middleton when they're not making anything? Like, you have to run the offense through Giannis if he's the only guy who can generate a quality shot. So I I don't know what you do. I think you just hope that at home those guys get it going. Yeah, and I thought like we talked about it in the after the game one. Giannis, I mean, Chris Middleton got the same exact shots that he usually gets. Um, he just missed uh, his open looks. Same with uh, Drew Holiday. 
Um, those those guys get the same looks every night, right? Chris Milton is a little mid range jumper, right? Uh, right after coming off a pick and roll, that's his shot. He just missed. Um, but he doesn't get to the rim, doesn't get to the line, doesn't play make. So when he's missing shots, like he's not impacting the game, and uh, it's just really tough to win that way, man. And I think he'll shoot better at home. Like I think Chris Milton, Drew Holiday will shoot better at home. Um, but I don't know where the kind of bucks go from here. Other than like their small ball lineup actually got killed last night. I was looking at the the minutes here. They were like a minus thirteen in their minutes. Their starting lineup actually did play well. Um, but again, like we, we talked about, I think those Brook Lopez minutes just. You just can't play him as much. Like, I wonder if uh, Bud goes to that. Um, but I thought someone made a really good point on, on the timeline. I forgot who, but they, they were saying, like, they need Brook Lopez's scoring, but they can't, like, defend with him on the floor. So that's kind of the conundrum uh, with Brook Lopez. Um, would you just start Giannis at the five in game three, or do you still? Because I think the Brook Lopez lineups actually played well. Um, I still think they're kind of fool's gold, though. I think Chris Paul and Devin Booker are too comfortable with him on the floor. Uh, but I don't know. Does Bud start Giannis at the five and just say, we'll just go full small ball here? I, I think he'd be willing to go to that option later in the series, like late, late in the series, like a game six or a game seven. But Coach Bed strikes me as the guy who would never in a million years take Brooke Lopez out, out of the lineup this early. Yeah. Um, you know, something you mentioned, you know, you're talking about, you know, Chris Middleton getting to his spots and, and Drew Holiday getting to his spots. To be honest, like, it kind of feels to me like the Phoenix defenders are sitting on Middleton's jump shot. Like they're, yeah. they're, they're kind of like favoring with their defensive positioning to lean forward into him rather than leaning backwards, being prepared for the drive. And I honest to God don't like part of the reason why Middleton and, and Drew Holiday aren't playing well, in my opinion, is I don't think they're getting super high quality shots. I don't think they are. And this is something that I mentioned in the, in the pod on Wednesday is like, I don't know how much of a factor Drew Holiday is going to be in this series when he's yeah. not a great three-point shooter, not a great mid-range scorer, not a great at-the-basket scorer who's getting lower quality shots than he has all season. Like, I, like he's the guy who's going to probably get it going in game three is Middleton just because he's, he's, he's got the height and he's got the, 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 the quick release and all. And, you know, the, the Suns defense is probably going to take a step back in game three just from a motivational standpoint. So I think Middleton's the one who will get it going. But I don't know, dude, I mean, like everyone, you know, Jackson Frank, the, you know, I think he covers the Sixers, but he's been covering yeah. this. He, he tweeted this out, out last, last night and he's 100% correct. He's like, you could talk about Coach Bud, you could talk about scheming, you could talk about all these things. But the real problem here is that the second and third best players on the Bucks are underqualified for what you're asking them to do. Uh, you know, it's a different era of NBA basketball. When you're looking at the top of the league, all of the best teams in the league have extremely talented one, twos, and threes on their roster. And look no further than than Phoenix and the fact that what you're getting out of Devin Booker as the second best Phoenix Sun or first best or Chris Paul, whatever you want to consider the set, the number two in their lineup, is significantly better than what you're getting out of the number two in, uh, from Milwaukee. And then what you're getting down the roster from Aiton and Mikhail Bridges and from campaign, what you're getting from those guys is higher talent, higher level shot, higher level shot making, higher uh, uh, defensive intensity. You're getting more out of them. This is a talent issue. And as a result, you, you can have a superhuman Giannis game like you did last night, and it could not be enough to win the game. Yeah, I feel like that kind of, I don't know, that that kind of gets Drew and Milton off the hook too easily, in my opinion. Like, <laughs> like Giannis is having superhuman games. Like, that should be your 
your level of advantage, right? The people who pick the Bucks would saying they have the clear best player, not just the best player, they have the clear best player in the series. They have the two-time MVP, defensive player, whatever accolades you want to put uh, next to Giannis' name. He has a full list of them you can put there. Like he should be the best. He should be the best player in the series, and and I think he played like it last night. Chris Paul is what thirty five. I mean, he's playing ridiculously well, but still, Giannis. I mean, Chris Milton and Drew aren't asked to be like Dwayne Wade or Kobe. They're just asked to be themselves in a little bit more of like a consistent way. I think Chris Milton could easily be a little bit more efficient. He's just not playing well, and I I feel like that just gets them off the hook. I, I saw that tweet as well from Jackson. Um, I think he also followed it up by saying, like, the Lakers and other people also didn't have enough help or something like that. Like, And then Bucks fans, I, I'm, I agree with them. They're not asking Milton and Drew to be these crazy shot creators. They're not asking them to be Devin Booker. They're asking them to hit open shots. They're not asking they them to, be better. to do what they yeah. Have to be, they have to be better themselves, and I think they I think that lets them off the hook too easily. Um, we 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 always talk about Bud, and you know both of us have our issues with Bud and all that. But again, like this is on the players as well. I think Milton has to be better. Um, we, we talk about it too. Not every shot is the same. I don't know how much Mikel Bridges' back pressure impact Chris Milton. I don't know like what what's going through him, but he has to be better. I I feel like the no help thing is is too easy to just throw out there. It's too easy of a comp. This is a good Bucks team. I know they're missing. Dante DiVincenzo, but this is a team that's won a bunch of games these last three years. These these dudes are playoff experience more than the other side. This is Devin Booker's first playoffs campaign, first playoffs. DeAndre Ayton, like this, that's no excuse to me um, to to say like they don't have enough now uh, because you're here. This is a Suns team that was nowhere expected to be here. Like you should have the talent to at least not get destroyed in the series, uh, mm-hmm. which is what it's looking like it's going to be. Yeah, if Giannis plays that well, it needs to be a closer game. Do you yeah. do you agree with my assessment that that uh, Middleton doesn't even attempt to get to the basket? Oh yeah, like I I think he really kind of him and Drew I think you talked about it as well they try to get going with their jump shot. I thought Drew was super aggressive early and he took like four jumpers right away. Um, Middleton as well. Um, they I, I don't know maybe they think they're not getting the call, but yeah he just does not get to the rim, does not get to the line. That's just the kind of player he is. He gets going through his like mid range jumper and then kind of works out there. So I agree with you. I they have to kind of attack more, but I mean it, it's kind of packed in the paint too. They're not really guarding PJ Tucker. Aiden's waiting there with uh with Giannis, uh waiting for Giannis at the rim. It's just I don't know where these like paint space comes from other than going with Giannis at the five, I guess, um, to kind of get him going. Maybe they that's what they do. Maybe they go Giannis at the five to get Milton going, get him a little bit more space. Um it, it just feels like it just feels like the paint is kind of packed. Uh, I think the Bucks were like what four for fifteen or something from three uh mm-hmm. for a while in that game last night. Um they couldn't hit their shots either. So I, I agree with you. Him and True, they don't they don't get to the rim as much as I I think they can. They're they're talented enough. These are these are all star multi time all star players. I'm not sure Drew's multi all star, but Chris Milton uh, is an all star as well. I, I I just don't like the the no help thing that's happening already um, with, with the Bucks down two zero. Yeah, you know it's interesting because uh, uh, this is something that Zach Lowe talked about on his podcast after Game One. Basically, the idea that when you Giannis is a non shooter, so if you play Giannis alongside another player in the lineup that you don't necessarily have to guard closely, in this case, a P.J. Tucker, 
uh, you put yourself in the position where the entire spacing is murdered. It's something that the, the, the Lakers dealt with in their first round series as well. And, and so I think the best option there is to put Giannis at the five and try to make sure that you, you're, you have enough shooting around. Cause the other thing too is you notice PJ Tucker, he crashes the boards when they're, uh, yeah. uh, when the team isn't guarding him. Well, I think he got maybe a couple. I have to look at the box score, but he wasn't getting, getting a ton of offensive rebounds. And then there was one that he got and then he just threw up a crazy hook shot and missed the heck out of it. Like, PJ's just not really helping you right now. So you almost have mm-hmm. to opt for more shooting. You know, but the thing with Middleton, it, it's fascinating to me because, like, you know, you, you look at tendencies. Like, I remember when I went to – when I was playing at Arizona Christian University, you know, I, I was a more more of an offensive uh, weapon the previous year in junior college. When I went to Arizona Christian, I was playing with two All-American guards. So they kind of turned me into, like, a Trevor Ariza type of dude who would guard the other team's best player. And we use synergy, which is, you know, uh, basically every mm-hmm. single clip of every single game that these guys would play. So they would just send me the synergy clips from the guy that I had to guard and I would watch his counters and like, what's specific? Okay. Does he, he drives right this percentage of the time he drives left this percentage of the time when he drives right, you know, X percentage of, of his possessions end at the rim X percentage mm-hmm. of those possessions end in a turnaround this way. It feels to me that when Chris Middleton makes a, a, a dribble move to the right and he gets separation that his initial instinct is to immediately turn his back and turn it into a post up. Like even when he gets separation on a drive, he's using it to get post position, not to get all the way to the rim. Whereas you watch like Paul George, Paul George does a really good job of as soon as he gets that separation, he almost goes into a gather and does like that James Harden thing where he sticks his arms out and tries to get all the way to the rim and draw a foul or finish at the rim. Well, literally, Chris Middleton is is missing that entire side of his game. And as a result, he's in a position where Phoenix is sitting up on the jump shot, and they're fine with him getting to the post and going to these turnaround jumpers because of how big Milwaukee's wings are. He's, he's just not getting fantastic looks. And it's, it's, so it's, it's, it's hard for him to get going the way he did against Atlanta you know, when, it, when he could get better matchups. And so that, that's, one of, uh, uh, you know, that's one of the uh, uh, advantages they have to figure out how to gain is how to get Chris Middleton in a situation where he's getting higher quality shots. I, I don't know how much you can continue to run through Drew Holiday. He just seems like he seems like he's underqualified for what they're asking him to do at this point. Middleton, I think, is the one they've got to figure out. Yeah, and I think Middleton's bag is a little deeper than he decides to go into. Like he has that floater that he gets to, and I feel like that's a high percent of shots for him when he comes off the screen. It's that little floater in the lane. Like he can go to that. Um, he's just a more like developed scorer than should be relying on just. Um, his jump shot to get going, in my opinion. They need him to mm-hmm. be the number two scorer. There's just not enough scoring, um, not enough shot creation. And with Drew Holiday struggling as he is, Drew Holiday's going to play better, in my opinion. Like, he's not going to play this bad. You're not, I think Chris Middleton and Drew were like four for 25 tonight um, at halftime That's or horrible something like that. At yeah, the, you, just can't, you just can't survive with, uh, with that kind of scoring. So, but I think you're right with Middleton. He can get going a little bit more. Again, I think like it's just too, it's just giving them off the hook, saying the talent with the talent disparity. Um, he can get to the line. He can get floaters. Um, he's pretty well sized. Not like he's a small dude. Um, so he can get his shot off anytime. It just feels like sometimes it's rushed. Um, and he loses confidence in it. Um, he's a guy that like gets going in games. He takes a while. I think you were talking about that. He kind of takes a while to get going. Um, so we'll see if he gets going in Milwaukee, but, uh, but they're going to need him. Uh, I, I don't see the Bucks going down. Oh, three though. Do you like, I think, I think they'll win be, game uh, three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They'll definitely win game three and try to, uh, try to prolong the series. But 
those guys have to be better. They they can't be outplayed by like campaign and all those dudes. Like they they just can't. They that they, they have to be better. And I think it's okay to like recognize that as well. Milwaukee's a four point favorite in Game Three. Can you believe that? Yeah, Yikes. that makes that sense. Feels, I mean, that feels like too much to me. <laughs> yeah, I expected it to be around a pick'em. Uh, oh, which okay. is wild because to, to give you to give you an idea, Phoenix was a four and a half point favorite in Game Two, so game they're two, basically okay. saying, yeah, so they're basically saying that that uh, that Milwaukee at home is every bit as good as Phoenix is at home in this series, which is pretty crazy. Um, one last thing on Phoenix before we um, am I still there? Yeah, you're there. Okay, cool. Uh, one one last thing on Phoenix before we before we move on. I, I want to pay Chris Paul a compliment because mm-hmm. uh, this kind of reminds me of a LeBron last year in the sense that you can tell Chris Paul smells blood. You know, oh, yeah. when you're there's this like scar tissue that builds up from losing uh, and it exists at every level, like even even within, you know, just average Joe's playing at your L.A. fitness when you get sick and tired of, of losing, a scar tissue builds up. And that's why in your average men's league at, at your city, the older team, as long as they have enough talent, the older team is extremely difficult to beat because they do all of these little things well. They box out extremely well. They help defense extremely well. They All the extra effort plays because they've lost so many basketball games in their lifetime that they have that scar tissue. Well, you can tell that Chris Paul is just made up of just tons of scar tissue from every single failure in his career. And he smells blood in the water. And, and he, he's just, just taking control of these games in a way that, that is extremely impressive to me. And, you know, there, I've seen lots of comps. It reminds me of Dirk in 2011 a little bit. Um, that, like I said, LeBron last year in a lot of ways. He's, very, like, he's not the best player on the floor. Giannis is. Mm-hmm. But I, you could argue that Chris Paul is, is every bit as impactful in his ability oh, yeah. when the game reaches like, okay, eight-point game here in the fourth quarter. Giannis is going crazy, but Chris Paul is just going to make a play. He's going to make a play here. He's going to make a play there, and he's going to put it away. And, and I just, you know, I, everyone has always asked every one of us, like, who, who are you rooting for? You know, who are you rooting for? And, you know, I would say that I was probably rooting a little bit for Milwaukee, which is crazy because I'm from Arizona, uh, but because I find Chris Paul to be a little unlikable, he's kind of a dirty player. He's, he's heavy on the heavy on the extra stuff, you know, however, uh, uh, begrudgingly, I, I'm, I'm ex- he deserves to be a champion and, and he's playing like it and he deserves to get finals MVP if they win at this point. And, and I will, I will, I will be able to handle the fact that he's a champion because I'm going to feel like he deserves it, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. I, I didn't get to watch this game fully live, so I rewatched it at like 2 in the morning. And even my notes here, I think I wrote like Chris Paul, Chris Paul smells blood because it, absolutely it, it showed. In that fourth quarter, I think he was just – he knew exactly what he was doing. You could tell like it's fun watching a player like him. Like he's not holding anything back anymore. So you could tell like he's in full 100% like – go time there's no like hey there's another season the season's not ending like i gotta kind of no it's like i'm getting to this spot i'm raising up i'm hitting this mid-range pull up he was in full control i thought every time the bucks made a run he hit the biggest shot um Aiden got like an offensive rebound kicked out he had like a big time three it's just cool to watch him like i, I started really watching hoops in like 08 
And then in 09, I wanted to go to my first game. First Laker game I went to was Hornets-Lakers 09 in Staples. This is the team that wins the title that year, that Laker team. They won their first title. Chris Paul and the Hornets come in. Man, watching Chris Paul in person is just a totally different experience. You see all the little shit he does. He was super fast back then, too. Super great. It was that, like, David West, Tyson Chandler. Like, people think of Chris Paul as this traditional point guard, but he kind of started that, like, double screen where there were big rolls and one big pops, you know what I mean? And, like, David Mm -hmm. West dropped 45 that night. Chris Paul had 35 and 15, some crazy number, and they beat the (laughs) Lakers. I remember just watching him, and he was the most annoying player to watch, but he was so good, and the crowd understood that. It was cool to watch him, and now it's like 12 years later, whatever, 13. But, yeah, it's cool watching him. I always thought like he was one of the best point guards ever, and it's, he looks like he's going to get his due here. But, yeah, definitely smells blood. Not just blood. He smells the whole damn shark right there. Like He, he knows. He, he smells everything in the water right now, so he, he's ready to go. And you could tell he's just he's putting everything out there. And uh, I think he's – the finals MVP through these first two games, it looks like. And uh, I feel like he's going to win it. So it, it's cool to watch him kind of uh, do, kind of go after this now. Yeah, I agree. And, and like I said, not not rooting for him necessarily because there are some – There's the, Chris Paul is just a lot. He's just – Oh, yeah. It's, he's – like I – like – I, he drew an offensive foul on Giannis last night in the in that uh, transition play, and everyone's like, "Oh, it was a good call." Yeah, it's a good call, but screw that guy for oh, doing that. Like, no, like, that's literally, awful. <laughs> yeah, and like, d- d- damn near, damn near injuring Giannis on that play, and like, it's just one of those things where, like, I, and but at the same time, like, I sympathize with it because you know, you know. I'm lucky. I'm I'm six six, and I have a six ten wingspan. I weigh two hundred thirty pounds. Like guys usually bounce off of me when I when I go running into him. Chris Paul's a little guy. Like for his entire career, he's had to fight and scratch and and claw for every little advantage that he's had. Every you know from from the day that he was in high school, you know, playing against the local prospects that are you know giant wings and bigs and stuff like that he's had to been the guy that's elbowing them in the thigh and pulling on their jersey and you know like and screwing with them and stuff because that's how he gained advantages and so I understand why he's wired the way that he's wired doesn't mean I have to like it though like I have a problem with you trying to yank LeBron's shoulder out of its socket or or trip uh who was it Kyle Kuzma that one time like I have a problem with that kind of stuff but at the end of the day I get it like I I sympathize with the plight of the little man if that makes sense no for sure and I don't think he's like malicious in his intent it's just like he's so in the game and he's like so like we need to win you know like that uh, I think the biggest personification was like I don't forget what game it was like someone had their shirt tucked in or whatever or not tucked in and like he's like hey that guy's shirt's not tucked in ref gave him a tech and they won the game with that like that's so Chris Paul like just getting every (laughs) advantage you can and uh like yeah sometimes sometimes exactly and it's over the line sometimes like it gets annoying it's not Patrick Beverly level to me like I feel like that's an even that's an even more extension of what what Chris Paul tries to do but uh yeah like he just tries to get any any advantage man and uh it's annoying you hate it um but when he's on your team uh you kind of root for it so it's that's the Chris Paul experience, and he's one of the best point guards ever. So he, mm. he should get his due uh, with this finals. Yeah, and, and last but not least, for Game Three, like I think it's I think it's textbook. Uh, you got to continue that same amount of pressure that you're putting on Chris Paul and Devin Booker, but you got to be better in your backside rotations. You got to figure out how to do a better job 
off of the double team rotating to shooters so that at least the looks that Mikhail Bridges and, and Jay Crowder are getting are a little bit more contested um, just so that they're not making eight in the quarter. And then, mm. uh, on, and then uh, if, if Giannis is going to be at the five, you got a gang rebound. Um, there was a play at the end of the game where DeAndre Ayton got an offensive rebound where uh, Drew Holiday tried to jump with him. He, yeah. uh, he, was, uh, he had inside position. Tried to jump with him. Aiton just reached over the top and kicked it to a shooter for a three that kind of ended up being the dagger. On that play, Drew Holiday just needs to get in a squat and back him out of the paint. Like, just box him out. You're not, you're not going to out-jump DeAndre Aiton and then just pray that some, one of your teammates comes flying in. Like, there's, they need to, as a team, compensate for the fact that they lack size as, as a rebounding team, which is something that they can do. They're capable of doing it. They can, they can be better at the things that uh, with the same strategy that they had last night and they can get a win. I genuinely believe they can. I think game three is the, is the one that they'll get. Um, and that was like the biggest play of the game, in my opinion, yeah. like that, right. that, that was the one where Aiden got the rebound. I think they cut it to seven that point, And then uh, Aiden kicked it out for Chris Paul. He hit the three and uh, that was like six minutes left and uh, they went up 10, but yeah, man, it, it's funny. Like going to game three, I feel like Milwaukee's going to play well. It feels like a, a game where Milwaukee's going to go up like 10 in the first quarter. And then it's going to be like tied at halftime. Everyone's mm-hmm. like, what happened? And then they win like a close one. That's what it just feels like to me. Um, but yeah, hopefully, I mean, I think they can get some momentum going Um, that crowd. It's, it's always weird with home crowds. You can kind of feel the nervousness as well um, in the, in the air. Milwaukee's a really, uh, kind of like oh we're kind of expecting something bad to happen <laughs> kind of arena so we'll we'll see but they should be rocking and i think they'll win win game three yeah game, game three is the crazy emotional back right. against the wall crowds going crazy type of game like there's just so many examples in nba history of the team down oh two coming coming home in game three and getting one and, and i believe they will that spread is weird though i don't like four points that seems too much to me but we'll see we'll see i'll probably end up betting it anyway um, all right, so uh, we're going to talk about this uh, this podcast. So uh, let me pull up the, the gentleman's name so I don't completely butcher it. But so his name is Matt Sullivan. So a little bit of backstory, dude from dude from Bleacher Report. Uh, he goes and basically covers behind the scenes the Brooklyn Nets for two full seasons, uh, basically ever since they signed Kyrie and Kevin Durant, uh, and then he releases this book. And it's basically like a tell-all type of deal Um, and all sorts of negative stuff about Kyrie and negative stuff. There's positive stuff in there, too. A lot of stuff about Kyrie Irving being super generous and and being very like doing a like giving out absurd amounts of money to people without telling anybody. And this guy is basically the first guy to, to, to put some light on it. He said positive stuff about Kevin Durant and his commitment to the game of basketball, and all. And so it wasn't all bad, but there was a lot of let's just call it dirty laundry uh, that was being aired out. And you know, the first thing that I wanted to talk about with it is just like how uncomfortable it makes me that that yeah. this kind of stuff exists. Like, I get it that this is part of journalism is shining a light on stuff that's happening behind the scenes. It's also not the first time this has happened. We've seen. Like I'm reading a book right now called The Jordan Rules, which is basically this exact same type of deal that happened surrounding the 1990 and 1991 Bulls. It was kind of a a hit piece of sorts on Michael Jordan and how much of a jerk he was to his teammates and how overbearing he was and all of those kinds of things. So I get that this is part of it, but this one's even weirder because The Jordan Rules one was this guy was just around the team and he was reporting what he heard. This guy 
this Matt Sullivan guy interviewed everybody. He conducted thousands of interviews. And he kept saying, as, as you pointed out when you and I were talking before the show, he kept saying, like, I, uh, I earned their trust right, and told them that I was going to be reporting all this stuff. But it kind of felt like he was saying stuff that was probably off the record, <laughs> you know? So, like, exactly. I, I, how, how did you feel just about the whole overall premise of the idea of a dude getting this close to NBA players and then airing out all their dirty laundry? It felt like me the reason why NBA players are very like um, like particular with who they let in because of stuff like this. That gets now I don't know his relationship with KD Kyrie. I don't know. I'm not. I just listened to that one podcast. I haven't read the book at all. It just felt very strange the way it was put out. Kind of like a like he got. It's kind of like he was pretending, not pretending, but like you know, like hey, let's be friends, kind of be open, and then just. He's like, yeah, you can't see the book until it's out. You can't know what's in it. Um, so it's kind of weird the kind of parameters he created with these with these superstar players who don't need his media to release their information. Kevin Durant has his own media company. Like he can release exactly. any kind of story he wants. Like he doesn't need some guy to like write this kind of stuff about him. Um, and again, like it's stuff that like I'm not really surprised at. I feel like the main kind of thing was the like him, Katie and Kyrie. I mean, I'm sorry, Katie, Kyrie and James Harden kind of met up in this gym in California and then kind of uh, created a power play to kind of play together. And Katie and Kyrie made roster decisions, which again, all of that, I feel like isn't shocking to me. Like those are, that's the new NBA we're in. These superstars not only pick their, the team they want to play, or play for, they pick the team. They pick who's mm-hmm. around them. You don't think LeBron has a little influence in who comes on the Lakers? Of course he does. He's <laughs> LeBron James. Uh, that's just how you don't think Dame like has a say in who comes on the Blazers? Of course he does. He's Damian Lillard. So like, I, I don't think too much of that is shocking. It was just weirdly said the, the amount of like, Hey, yeah, look at me. I got close to them. Like I won. I got close to them. These other beat reporters, they, all they talk about was X's and O's, but I got deep with them. And then you released all this information that probably they don't want out. It's just like it again, it probably puts another like another thing in the in their mind about why they Katie. I mean, Kyrie has been public about how he feels about the media. They already they hate do. the media. They both already do. 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 Both of them. <laughs> exactly. And I feel like this just perpetuates that. I just I didn't understand the need for it. I mean, I'm sure this book will do numbers. I mean, I'm sure in the summer when we have nothing to do and there's no basketball on, it will kind of grow on people. But I just didn't under, it's just the, the premise of it didn't feel right to me. It didn't feel like he was authentic with them or us because he kind of played both sides here. And I just, I, it made me feel weird. Even if the, the, the information seems all true, like everything he talked about seems factual. Was he the one that got the Steve Kerr quote as well? The the uh, yeah, that uh, yeah, was him too. Okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he he had it all, and he corroborated everything with everyone. You're right; like it was yeah. all it was all true. The thing, the thing that was weird, and I'm sure you picked up on this. And I'm not big on like overly being personally critical of people, but at the same time, like there there was a little bit of an arrogance with that guy. Oh yeah. And it was interesting to me because, like, you know, there's there's a huge difference between confidence and arrogance. Like, anybody who's good in in their specific field is going to have a certain amount of confidence. That's that's to be expected. But the, yeah, the, the the entire interview was dripping with like that arrogance, where it was like all of these other beat reporters were only asking about X's and O's, and I was asking them about you know X Y Z or this and that and this and that. And it was like it was very like I, I'm. It was very like light years esque. Like I'm the one doing it the right way and everyone else is screwing up and it's like 
actually, dude, it kind of feels like you're playing dirty and everyone else is playing clean. That's kind of the way that it feels to me. And and it was very like he was very quick to just air everything out. Like there was a sequence where like Dan Lebetard was like, tell us something that we might not know about. Kevin oh, yeah. Durant. And then he just came right out and was like, no hesitation. It was just like, he smokes so much weed. <laughs> like, that was very it, weird. It was very, very weird strange. because for starters, I would imagine the vast majority of NBA players smoke weed. I personally have absolutely no problem with it. it, it, it I, and especially dealing with what they deal with out on the road and dealing with the pain in their bodies. I have absolutely no problem with it. And the, I, and so just being like making it seem like Kevin Durant is like this dude out there is just a total stoner while everyone else is doing their own thing. That's, that's, that's bullshit. Like, like, the, like all of these guys are doing it. And so it just felt like it felt like he was sitting on it and he just couldn't wait to say it. And everything that it, like Stugatz was giving him crap at the end of the interview. He's like, I don't need to read the book anymore. You just told me everything, you know, and, and he kind of did. Like, that's not how you're supposed to handle book interviews. You're supposed to kind of leave some teasers in there to, to get people to read the book. Like it was it was such a bizarre interview. It had me completely captivated the whole time. And, and all I could think was, is like. This guy's kind of a scumbag. <laughs> but uh, uh, what did you what did you think about the like, you know, uh, th- like, for instance, they he said that Kevin Durant basically had made up his mind. That he was going to play with Kyrie during the finals like that. He was yeah. like, while he was playing in the finals. He had already made up his mind. Like, did you. Did, did that just strike you as par for the course? Did you find it unusual? Like, where were you at with all that? Yeah, I think that's such a weird, like, kind of thing because we actually, we don't 100% know, but, I mean, Katie and Kyrie are best friends, and that's something that was actually reported, if you remember, at the All-Star game of, uh, I believe, that 20, what was that? I forgot what it was, 2017? Was the year before he went? Around and stuff? Yeah, yeah, and, like, him and Kyrie were kind of really together during that weekend, and people had pretty much said, like, oh, yeah, it's pretty clear those two want to play together. I don't think that was a secret um, any means, and maybe they did, like, but we we'll ne- never know. I, I don't know. Uh, KD seems like a competitive dude. I don't think he's already like, oh, um, or maybe like he, maybe he had in his mind that he was going to leave. I think Draymond also talked about this as well that KD was already kind of had in his mind that he was going to leave um, Golden State. Um, but again, like him and Kyrie are best friends, so you never really, really know. Maybe they wanted to play together. I just think that's kind of the new league we're in. This is like players can choose, players can talk, make decisions. I, my favorite thing was the, like the James Harden thing because that has such ripple effects, right? If them three decided there in a California gym they wanted to play together, Katie and Kyrie were already on the same team. James Harden's a top five level player going to a billion dollar franchise that thinks he's committed to them in the beginning of the year. He plays two weeks, plays like he doesn't want to be there, has this shift, trades, it it changes the whole landscape of the league. That's more fascinating to me, um, the kind of new lead. These guys understand that they are the main attraction here and they're the main power they're the main guys in power and that's just how things work now i think that was interesting but yeah that that weed part was so weird to me because he said it in like a negative connotation which oh is, yeah that's so the part weird. that and dan levitard and Stu gods are really good at not being the story they're they're really good at interviews oh, they're, they're so really good, good at, i think dan levitard is so, one of the best of the people in our business like it's so good he, he never asked too much he asked like the exact amount like to where the other guy can really you know say what he wants and i think he really put a really open door and i thought he was going to say something interesting like oh yeah you don't know katie actually you know likes to do this on his free time or you know or something like katie's a super interesting person one of the most fascinating dudes probably in the league who like understands his superstar but also is like super humble in a way like he'll just tweet back and forth with you like he's a interesting dude and for that to be the little tidbit you give it's just 
that's I don't know. It, it felt like a very weird interview to me. Yeah, it was. There was there was there were so many little things to unpack. Like uh, you know, I remember when the when the big crisis went down last year with Balmer and uh, oh, yeah. Jerry West. You you will notice that I was conspicuously quiet during that time, and the main reason why is because I just have kind of accepted the fact that that's how this stuff works. Like, and I don't expect any sort of punishment to come down for the Clippers, at least nothing significant, because I just understand that the the owners probably know that there's a half dozen of them that operate like this, and they don't want to have that all come down. And like, you know, so basically, again, you should listen to the podcast, but the uh, uh, they were talking about how basically Brooklyn's been picking up the tab on just about anything that those guys want. If they need a girl to get a hotel room in a specific place, they just pay for it. Like they, if they if they needed a specific uh, piece of equipment or if they needed an upgrade or any sort of anything, they just fit the bill and, and or they just took the, the took over the, the the bill. And like they were saying that like the the team accountants kept coming up to them and being like, what's the deal with all this money? And they'd be like, you just got to figure it out. It was for the, the the superstars, you know, and that, you know, the, you know, there was some, the only part that I really had an issue with is like, they were saying that Kyrie Irving was kicking dudes off the team just because they disagreed <laughs> with him in like their worldview. Yeah. And it's like, dude, Kyrie, like your worldview is, is pretty far in one direction. Like you, there's going to be some people that disagree with you. It's kind of a ridiculous reason to kick someone off a team, you know, but Outside of that, I'm just kind of like, this is the way that the world works now. I, and if, and here's the reality of the situation. If, if Brooklyn was healthy, they would have won the title this year. And, uh, uh, and they're probably going to be the favorite to win it all next year. So are you going to look at the Brooklyn Nets upper management and tell them they were wrong to give Kevin Durant and Kyrie the keys? Because I would argue they're doing a pretty good job in terms of putting together a basketball team that can win the title. And isn't that the goal of all of this at the end of the day? I think my, my favorite part of the interview was the guy was releasing that information, right, about the, like, uh, oh, yeah, the team puts the bill on a bunch of things. Like, he gets uh, he gets people rooms what they need them. And I think uh, I think Dan Lepitar was like, I think that's capture convention. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think that's allowed. I and think this was a like, big story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the guy, the guy is so in his own, like, want to release, like, this, like, gossip and tidbit that he doesn't even see that as a story. He just wants to get this, like, hey, I got to hang out with Katie and Kyrie. Let me release this information. Meanwhile, so, like, Land Lombard gives him the story of the year. He's yeah. like, I think that's Captain. And the guy's like, oh, well, yeah, you're, you might be right about that. And I just think that was, like, just the perfect encapsulation of, like, him, what he's trying to get out of it and, like, what it actually, like, what if he wanted a story, that's, like, a story you can go to. But, like, I, I just think it's interesting that he – didn't want any of that he just wanted it look like to release some information about about the nets and i, I don't even think this really t- i feel like this is a, i think the nets are a super fascinating team last year i think you could have really dove into some interesting things if you got that kind of access like he says he did i just don't see the point of like sharing stuff that like hey these rich dudes do things that rich people do like i like that that kind of stuff doesn't really match to me or these athletes smoke like what that we're in 2021 that's not a yeah, story I, the league that's took just, away drug testing they don't give a crap it's, anymore it's, man. yeah it's just I, that was so weird for him to like he's like oh you have no idea how much kevin Durant smokes and dan lubbock was like oh um okay like you i, tell I they guess were both a little awkward you know? yeah yeah, and they, so they is, asked him too. They're like, they're like, hey, like, are you worried about repercussions <laughs> from this? Oh right? yeah, like, and and that 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 would be honestly, that's where I would, you know, and you know, I, I'm a genuine believer in the fact that, like, you know, the way you operate 
let's just simplify it to a cliche. What goes around comes around. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I've worked in sales my whole career. I did. I worked at Verizon for years, and, and now I sell real estate. Like I operate a clean business because I would rather sell less and have the good karma of repeat business than to chase the quick buck and to get yourself in some trouble. And the problem here is like, if you're an NBA player and this Matt dude comes around now, are you even, are you even talking about anything? Or are you like, get the heck away from me, buddy? Like, I know what you are. You know what I mean? Like, it seems to me like he burnt down a lot of bridges with his ability to access players in chase of this one book with Bleacher Report. Maybe he'll make so much money on it that he'll never need anything else. But it just it just struck me as like a guy a, a guy playing by a different set of rules. And it made me a little uncomfortable. And I to be honest, man, I felt bad for KD and Kyrie. I felt like yeah. I felt like they're doing the same thing LeBron and AD are doing. They're doing the same thing Kawhi and Paul George are doing. They're doing the same exactly. thing that all these stuff Luca's probably doing the same damn thing in Dallas. And and you demonized them and made them seem like they were playing above the above the rules, which I like. I I had a problem with it. Is all I'm trying to say. No, for sure. And my issue kind of was like, this guy doesn't seem like he's really interested at all in the like. You don't have to be fully interested in the basketball, but like, it felt like this wasn't in like a, even a KD Kyrie story. It was kind of just two superstars, and they wanted to kind of he wanted to expose something that. I don't think there was anything to really expose. It's like this was all kind of public knowledge. We know that superstars get a little more leeway here. We know they get some perks here. It's just how the world works. That's just how it works nowadays. And I think mm-hmm. we know that. And again, like you get this kind of access. Like you, he's like, oh yeah, I I have their number. He was like, I have their phone numbers. I text them. I don't just go to the Zoom meetings. I actually text them back and forth. Just a really weird thing to show off there, you know. And again, probably perpetuates their belief and like oh yeah this is how most media and members act when you give them kind of this kind of access and why Kyrie gives these one word answers sometimes why katie's like you know stop asking me that or you know just like stuff that they do when they're annoyed with media and again it just further separates this gap between the media and the, the athlete when both of them should be working together they have the same goal they want to grow this league and they both actually need each other in a little bit in some way and and that gap keeps to separate because of stuff like this that comes down again i haven't read the book so i don't want to give like a full kind of stamp on it just hearing that podcast was very kind of uncomfortable he he offered enough information that you you and i are not jumping to conclusions here no yeah he he went on that podcast and thoroughly revealed who he was i i genuinely i genuinely believe that and like you know what's you know what's hilarious is there's a reason why it's not that big of a story. It's because everything he revealed in reality wasn't all that shocking. Okay, right. so NBA player smokes weed. Who cares? Uh, NBA stars making decisions on behalf of the franchise. Who cares? NBA stars planning where they're going to go way in advance and then pretending like they don't know. Who cares? NBA teams providing secret financial benefits behind the scene. Who cares? Like, all of that was very much to be expected. So it, it, yeah. it was, it was kind of like a look at all the stuff I found out. And it was kind of like a, well, we kind of already knew that, but you know, congrats. Yeah. And, and I hope, I hope NBA players will, will talk to you again because they might not, you know what I mean? 
No, yeah, for sure. I, I forgot who it was, but he was on the low post, um, and he got to sit down with KD for a while um, and do like an interview with him. And uh, I, I forgot who it was who he talked to. It was a writer of the book who wrote like the book on the Oklahoma City Thunder and all that. And he got to really sit down with KD. He was on the low post not too long ago, and uh, yeah, and like I thought that story was interesting. It was about how KD kind of sees. I think we actually might have talked about it on the pod, but it was like KD how KD kind of sees all of us as like the same and like. The, the guy was asking KD about like, hey, what do you think about people saying you team up with other stars? He's like, we're all in the same league. We're all trying to grow this. We're all trying to grow the same league and kind of give like a picture of what KD is on the outside. This just didn't tell me anything. I mean, at least this podcast, this just this felt like just a trying to tell all, trying to peek behind the scenes of stuff we knew was going on anyway. It was trying to make a picture of it, and I just not sure what this did. I don't know what this book is going to do as well. Maybe we're, again, maybe when we're all bored. We kind of dive into it, but it. It didn't really, it didn't really tell me anything. Yeah, if we run out of off-season content, maybe we'll, maybe we'll read this book. Uh, on a, on a final note, before we get you out of here, like, I so just uh, as an homage to to Kevin Durant, because I actually think he's the best player in the world right now in terms of just the guy who deserves to be recognized as such. Um, you know, there there, there was a, an interesting thing in the interview where basically the guy strongly hinted at the fact that Kevin Durant's dad thought that KD was too beholden to Kyrie and that oh, yeah. and that Kevin Durant's family wanted him to go to the Knicks, but right. that KD wanted to go with Kyrie, which for the record, in terms of basketball success, he made the right decision. Um, yeah, he would have been a bigger you know fan base behind him if he went to the Knicks, but the, the Nets are probably the most talented team in the league by a significant margin. So, you know, he, he made the right decision. But, like, there was some stuff there about whether or not he was beholden to Kyrie. But the truth of the matter is, is, like, since – oh, and, like, that whole thing with Steve Kerr in, in, the, in, the, in the dinner. Yeah. You know, he kept saying, like, you know, Kevin Durant's the same guy he was in Golden State. Kevin Durant's the same guy in Golden State. I think he's wrong. Like, Kevin Durant has leaned into his real self outside of Golden State. And, I, and, and that, to me, is a, is a compliment to him because – in Golden State, he was kind of trying to be something he's not. Now he's being Kevin Durant. Like, he does like to talk on social media. He does like to, to be just an average guy who's, who, who can hop into a space, a Twitter spaces with a bunch of average Joes and just act like one of the guys talking hoops and not, and not try to have a superiority complex. He is a guy that, that is, is fun to chill with and, and, and is way more, I would say he's more down to earth than like a LeBron type of guy. And, and and I think that that's what makes him so likable. And I think that in a weird way, him leaving Golden State and just kind of leaning into who he is as a person has made him uh, gained him support from a lot of people. Like I have a ton more respect for Kevin Durant now than I used to, and, and because I know he's not trying to be something he's not. And and honestly, like I think he represents kind of like a new trail for a superstar as like a guy who's doing things a different way. And I, and I respect the hell out of it, uh, out of it honestly, in, in, in addition to the fact that I think he might be the best basketball player in the world right now. Yeah. And I think like, it's kind of funny, like you kind of see now why people, I guess, were mad when he went to golden state, because this is how damn good KD is. Like he literally is this good. He can carry a team and all that. And just even from off, off the basketball, it's just cool to like hear him talk and in interviews. You could tell, like he's really at peace with himself. Like he's at peace with who he is, like his decisions. And he'll like go at someone. He's like, Hey, your rings are fake. 
he's like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, I'm just sitting here chilling, playing 2K, like, you know, <laughs> go enjoy, go enjoy your life. And so like, it's just really cool to see him reply to people like that. And uh, a guy that he feels accessible more than like other star players. Right. And I think that's, what's cool about it. It feels like you can talk to Katie and he'll reply back. And that's a hmm. really awesome trait for someone who's probably not as accessible as he is, but like he makes you feel like he is just the way he talks and it's cool. And just, he's an amazing player and yeah, I mean, he's probably the best right now. LeBron might, I mean, those are all he's, conversation. I, I always differentiate between what you, who you call the best and who actually yeah. is the best. Like I, Kevin Durant, looked better than everybody at the end of the season so i think he deserves yeah. to be called that that's kind of what i'm saying yeah. yeah and it was cool to watch him just blow up against the nets just i think he had like 48 in that game seven just watching him play again um after we lost like two years of kd or like a year two <clears throat> one and a half years something of kd mm-hmm. playing basketball so uh it was joy to watch him this year and yeah that that story didn't tell me nothing and i don't think they're texting that by that guy back anymore so i, I like yeah. he, uh, yeah, he burned that bridge. He burned that. Bridge. Better save your message history with those stars because that's going to be the only text messages you read from them anymore, buddy. Um, all right, man. Well, uh, let's see. Game three is on Sunday, so we'll be going again on Monday morning if you're up for it. Yeah. Oh, it's not. Isn't it not tomorrow? Is I think game... it's Sunday. So this series is weird. Oh, is? From every every game until game seven now has a two day off break. Oh, so it's nice. Sunday, okay. and then they don't they don't play till Wednesday, and then they don't play till Saturday. Oh, that is, that's really strange. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I'm done. Let's uh, do it. All right, brother. Good. Have a good day. I'll have the recording of this up shortly and I will see you on Monday. Sounds good. Right, Thanks everyone.